So I've got one more, um, one more quote from from Vox on Mayor Pete, which I just I read and I read a couple of times. Um, he's being asked by the interviewer, but there are a group of people who embrace one of these one of these labels you speak of, the broader left or socialist left that you see in the Democratic Party today. How do you see that left flank's role in the overall party? And Pete responds. I think it's positive and important because we need to actually see f- the farthest boundaries of our idea space. Fucking wow. <laughs> what a sentence. Yeah. I mean, what, a ma- what, a, what a soup of words. We, we, the left is not important because of anything it could do. It's not important because it's responding to any kind of need or because it's a political project. It's important because it generates a lot of interesting new frontiers of the mind palace. Yes. <laughs> Simba, I mean, everything the light touches is our idea space. There's sort of a weird implication of that because there's been so much press about, you know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, you know, being sort of on the the vanguard of the, the you know the bleeding edge of the the left, which by the way she isn't obviously, and I don't think I have to explain that to anybody on this call. But um, this idea that you know somehow like the government paying for you know menstrual products is this like next generation like you know science fiction. Now that's what I call the bleeding edge of the left. Science fiction future, yeah, and it's like no, like you. A sweetheart, like, you know, Harvard, Oxford, like, they all have copies of the, you know, of the writings of Marx. They all have copies of, you know, some major socialist thought. And you could have looked up any of this during your tenure. And that's... I was going to say, like, a really good example of this type of strange thinking uh, came earlier this week with the Jordan Peterson Zizek debate, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, he basically, like, Peterson lost it because he hadn't actually read Marx, yeah. despite, like, talking about him all the time. I mean, yeah. I, Damn, in, foiled by the one thing he thought no one would check. In his, de- <laughs> in his defense, Toronto, the University of Toronto, most of the people who've gone there probably haven't read it. And also most of the people who are professors there haven't read it because it's one of those, mm. it's one of Canada's sort of Ivy League and name only places where you can tell people that you went there and they're very impressed by it, but it is not particularly... Uh, <laughs> Um, well, I can certainly say that uh, Karl Marx was my least favorite of the Marx brothers. <laughs> I found Groucho to be much more engaging. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the Marx brother who's trying to tear down Western hegemony. Uh, exactly. we, we love it. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's that the, the, the thing that strikes me about him, is, about this is back, back, to, back to Buttigieg, is quite simply just that he is, his, he, He's done. He's done this thing. We've talked about the, this before on the podcast, where he seems to just see the world as an interplay of ideas, uh-huh. and he has, after sort of being a center right mayor in South Bend, has seen the winds of change shift left, and so has dutifully shifted with them a little bit while triangulating his position still to try and maintain some co- imaginary coalition where he's got a hundred percent of the vote because he's just that impressive, mm. and. And it. it and well, I mean, the, come on, Riley. There's never been a gay guy in the navy before. <laughs> and it. Sh- and the, what really? It sh- what I think it, sh- it shows me as well is that 
he's got he's doing the he's doing the thing where he's imagining all of these ideas just as sort of pamphlets. They're not expressions of anything bigger. They're not yeah. they're not expressions of power. Yeah. They're just these freewheeling ideas that are floating around, interacting with one another. And as the job of a politician, it's his job to make sure the most ideas interact with each other so we can pick the winner of the ideas Hunger Games and then make it into a policy where the homeless are turned into Wi-Fi hotspots. Exactly. Yeah. But he I mean, the other thing, too, is like there's two things that sort of trouble me about the people who are kind of turned on by his campaign. One, I really feel like there is a strong contingent of people that you know, their their self-identification that they are cool with a gay person is superseding the things that he's actually saying and the things that he's actually doing and the things that he's actually about. And, you know, the Democrats need to reconcile with that because this is what gets them into all the trouble with racism. This is what get, got them into trouble with Ilan Omar. This is, uh, you know... <laughs> This, they don't seem to be able to, to negotiate these situations because, quite frankly, there aren't enough people of color around them or, you know, people from different backgrounds or people who are immigrants or whatever around them on a given day for them to actually be chill. Like, they're sort of like, oh, I go for Ethiopian food with my, you know, <laughs> mixed race friend once a month kind of thing. And you're like, okay, great. <laughs> um Thanks. He's real. He's half white, half Irish. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then And so so what are you saying is that is that the, what they are they're allowing their they're allowing to have their support of him as a gay candidate. They're allowing it to occlude the fact that their many of the policies they support are pretty harmful to the gay community in general. 